Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so I encourage you to pray with me uh, once more as we come to God's word that he would open our hearts and minds and reveal to us what he would have us um, to discover from the scriptures this morning. And so, Father, we, we thank you for this word this morning and the other passages of scripture we'll touch on this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding to receive not what I would have the church here this morning, but what you would have the church to hear through me this morning. I pray that we wouldn't just go through the motions of ticking off a sermon box this morning, both the givers and the hearers this morning, Lord. I pray that we would have our hearts and minds and, and spirits and souls and every fiber of our being uh, receptive to what you would have us embrace this morning from your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning is actually the, the second part of a two-parter, a two-part um, series of sermons that uh, I'm calling The Call of the Church in a Changing World. And so the world is, is changing and so we're representing that by what I, I love this image, this cool image of the world as a Rubik's Cube. Um, and so for many uh, in the world, not just the church, but particularly in the church, we feel like the, 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 the playing board has just been twisted and messed up and, and we can't make sense of the world anymore. And so in our own country, there's a number of things that there, there has been, in a sense, a change of the cultural winds as it pertains to the church and, and the church no longer necessarily has the, the place of privilege it once had in society. It no longer is respected uh, in the way it once was in Australian culture. And, and so there's been this shift, some call it the shift from, um, to talk uh, in, in Roman terms, from Constantinople um, no, from Constantinism, so the emperor Constantine, Constantinople was his city that he built, from Constantinism or Christendom where the church is married to the state and the church tells the state what to do or the state tells the church what to do. And, and so some describe this cultural shift that's been happening over centuries, in fact, as, as the breakdown of Christendom or Constantinism, should not try to say bigger words than I can handle. Um, or, or others term the, the culture of the West now as a post-Christian culture, which implies that it was once a Christian culture and now that it's not. And so within the church and outside the church, some people are excited about these changes. Some people embrace them. Um, some people are scared about them. And a lot of us are a mix of the two. And so over last week and this week, I've just wanted to explore what is the call of the church in a changing world? What is the call of the church when the playing board has been mixed up in front of us? And um, it may serve as no surprise as, uh, to, to, to suggest that the call is the same as it's always been. Our calling doesn't change even though the world changes around us. And so last week I, I, I said, suggested that the first part of our calling as the church is to be agents of shalom. 
we, we looked from uh, the passage in Jeremiah in 29 where, where um, God says to his people exiled in Babylon into a very foreign place for them, a very changed world for them, to seek and to pray for the prosperity and peace of the city, which both those words in the Hebrew are shalom, which does mean prosperity and peace. It means perfect peace, in fact, but it, but it also means welfare and healing and wholeness and security and safety. In a, in a sense, it's everything as God intends it to be. And so we are called as a church to be agents of shalom, to be agents of... Uh, of bringing in the peace, the prosperity, the security, the wholeness, the healing of God into the city that we live in, into the town that we live in. And so last week we talked about a number of ways that we do that collectively and the call on our lives to do that as individuals, to enter into the mess of people's lives, to enter into the brokenness of our town and be agents of shalom. And so that's the, that's the first part, I believe, of our, of our calling as followers of Jesus, as the church. Uh, and this morning I want to talk about a second part that goes hand in hand and, and goes together with that. And that is, we are agents of shalom, but we're also called to be ambassadors of the gospel. Agents of shalom, people who bring the, the, the perfect peace and prosperity and welfare and safety and security of God, but ambassadors of the gospel into a world that desperately needs to hear good news. We are ambassadors of the gospel. And so what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, it, it is quite literally good news. The, the Greek word euangelion literally means good news. And in fact, it has the sense of an announcement or a proclamation of good news. It's a bulletin of good news. It is, it is uh, the heralding of good news. The gospel is good news. Uh, sometimes some of us may have heard this quote, which is misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi. There's no record of him ever actually saying anything like this, but we hear this quote, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. But I want to suggest this morning that the gospel is not the gospel if it's without words. Words are necessary. In Philippians 1.27 it says to live a life worthy of the gospel. Last week we talked about being agents of shalom and, and so we are called to uh, be agents of God's presence in the world that points people towards him and our behavior is, is, is a very significant and important part of that. But the gospel is good news. It is words to be proclaimed and announced. It is good news to be shared and talked about. It is in Jesus' own words, the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. He said to those who were far from God and near to God, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It is in Jesus' words, the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It is good news. In Paul's words in Colossians 1, 19 to 23... The gospel is this. 
Colossians 1, 19 to 23, the gospel is this, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is talking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were an alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, that this is the gospel. This is the good news that you have heard and that you have that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so the gospel is anchored upon the historical event of the incarnation, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, I encourage you to read it at home. I'm not going to read it this morning, but Paul says to the Corinthian church, I want to remind you of the gospel. And what he shares with them is the life, the death and the resurrection and Jesus' appearance to those who saw him raised from the grave. And he says that is the gospel. The, the gospel, the good news is anchored upon the historical event of Jesus' incarnation, life, death and resurrection. And the significance of that is it's not an abstract theology. It's not a political ideology. The gospel is not right-wing conservatism as much as it is not left-wing liberalism. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is anchored in who Jesus was and what he has accomplished for us on our behalf on the cross. It is the proclamation of historical truth and what that means for us who put our trust in him. The gospel is that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus, through his own sacrifice, has reconciled all things with God and to one another. The gospel is the good news that we have eternal resurrection life in Jesus. The gospel is the good news that in Jesus we have healing and wholeness. As it says in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. The gospel is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And just as we are called to be agents of shalom, we are called to be ambassadors of this good news. Both end. Agents of shalom and ambassadors of good news. Words are necessary when it comes to the gospel. And so this morning I, I, I want to talk about four key mindsets that we need to embrace to be in effective ambassadors of the gospel. Four key understandings or foundational beliefs, however you would phrase that. Four key mindsets to be in effective ambassadors of the gospel. the good news of salvation. And so the first mindset I believe we need to embrace is a mindset of being confident in the gospel. We won't be effective ambassadors of the gospel unless we have a confidence in the gospel. And this is really relevant in a changing world that views the church 
less favorably than it once, once did. The gospel is often viewed with skepticism and even contempt. We live in a world of postmodernism, or some would say post postmodernism. I'm yet to hear someone say post post postmodernism, but that's just a, a representation that the world is actually changing and we don't know what to call it anymore because the best names we can think of it is post something else or post post something else. And, and so in this world of changing understanding of this world of many truths in this world of skepticism and contempt perhaps the church has lost its confidence in the gospel perhaps you and i have lost our confidence in the gospel and so i want you to ask yourself a a, a challenging question this morning do you feel confident in sharing the gospel with others I'm not asking if you feel like a street evangelist or a, a, a preaching evangelist or a, uh, some other kind of evangelist. Do you feel confident in sharing the gospel with others in a, in a way that would fit you? Do you feel confident in sharing the gospel with others? In those verses, those few short verses I read before we began this morning, Paul says this, and I'll read it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so Paul says elsewhere that the message of the cross is foolishness to some, that, that some people demand uh, it to, to be logical, some people demand it to fit their scheme of worldview, some people demand a miraculous sign, but Paul says in the midst of that, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He says in the midst of that, that he is not ashamed of the gospel message. And so for us this morning, we need to be enthused by Paul's words and challenged by them. Are we confident in sharing the gospel with others? Are we confident in the gospel message? Or are we perhaps... On some level, maybe shame's not the right word for us, but are we perhaps at some level ashamed or lacking confidence in the gospel message? We need to regain confidence in the gospel because, as Paul says, it is the power of God for salvation. We're called to be agents of shalom, which will lead people towards Jesus, but it's the gospel itself that is the power of God for salvation. In Acts 4.12, in one of Peter's messages to the crowds in early Acts, he says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved but the name of Jesus. And so if we don't have confidence in the gospel, there is nothing else for us as a church to have confidence in for salvation. In in 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says to to his, his spiritual son, Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. So we might think the world is becoming less 
accepting of the gospel, but there's never been a time less accepting of the gospel than the, 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 the moment it was birthed into the world. And so in that context of, of the, the Jewish religious elite re- rejecting the good news about Jesus and the mitre of the empire of Rome trying to stamp out the gospel message, Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about Jesus. Don't be ashamed to share the good news. And so the call remains for us today to, to be confident in the gospel, to not be ashamed in the gospel, because the gospel is still good news today. The gospel is just as good news as the day of Pentecost when 3,000 came to faith. Do you believe that? That the gospel is just as powerful and just as good news as the day of Pentecost when 3,000 came to faith? The gospel is just as good news when soon after the number of believers quickly grew to 5,000 through the power of the Holy Spirit revealed and the, and the proclaiming of the gospel. The gospel is just as good news as the day you heard it and believed it. Yet sometimes we embrace this attitude that says, well, I believe it, but no one else will. The early church was confident in the power of the gospel in a cultural environment that was far more anti-gospel than our own. And so to be effective ambassadors of the gospel, we need to regain this mindset of confidence in the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. There is no other name by which a person can be saved but the name of Jesus. And I believe the second mindset we need to embrace or, or have our mind renewed with, as it says in Romans chapter 12, is, is to be passionate about the gospel, not just confident in the gospel, but passionate about the gospel. And so the church seems to have a long list of passions today, a long and diverse list of things that we're passionate about. Some of those things are fantastic, some of those things perhaps not so fantastic, but, but we have a lot, long list of things as a church and as, as churches around the world that we're passionate about, that we want to make public statements about and we get upset about and get angry about or we get enthused and excited about. But the question is, are we as passionate about the gospel? Are we as passionate about the good news of Jesus Christ as we are about some of these other issues that we get uh, excited or cranky about as the church? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks of his own passion for the gospel. In verse 16, he, he says... Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And then just jumping down a few verses for the sake of time to verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, 
I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul lives his life in such a way that he becomes all things to all people for the sake of the good news about Jesus. That others might hear it in a way that they understand and be saved through the name of Jesus. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do not, and, and we've trans, the translators translate it, preach here, but this, this word doesn't mean that, that to, to follow Paul's passion, you have to stand in front of a crowd and preach. This, this word could be translated proclaim or simply speak the gospel. Paul says, woe to me if I do not speak the gospel. He says, I do all of this. His entire life's effort is for the sake of the gospel. He kind of recalls um, Jeremiah's words that he says, his word, that is God's word, is in my heart like a fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. Jeremiah's saying he, he can't contain God's word within him. He can't not burst forth with God's word. And Paul says that's how he feels about the good news about Jesus. That even if he tried to, He couldn't contain it. Many of us have had good news in our life that we cannot contain. Perhaps it's the good news of being engaged or the good news of a a baby. Um, I'm not looking at you particularly. I just, when you, I I was looking at you too for the engagement thing. We'll await the baby news in in a little while to come. Um, um, and so, so uh, many of us have experienced good news that we can't contain, that, that we just have to tell. Not many of us who are married, when we got engaged, just kind of went, oh, well, that's nice then, and, and moved on with life. We were on the phone calling parents and friends and, oh, my goodness, and, and putting it on Facebook if that existed when we got engaged. Not many of us have a baby and just go on with life without telling anybody about it. We, we've all experienced something in life, I hope, of good news that you can't hold within, that you just have to tell people. Well, that's how we should feel about the gospel. We should be so passionate about the good news of, of Jesus that if we contain it for too long, we've just got to find somebody to tell about Jesus. I'm not talking about Bible bashing or aggressively, you know, hunting people down and giving them 40-minute sermons about Jesus. I'm just talking about giving a taste of the message of Jesus to people. That, that should be the passion that we can't contain it within us. And so the question to ask ourselves is, do we have that passion in our belly for the gospel? And if not, 
then we need to ask the Holy Spirit and, and seek to generate a passion for the good news about Jesus because no matter how exciting it is that you've been engaged and are soon to be married, um, and I look elsewhere into the roof for the an announcement of having a, a, a new child, uh, as good news as that is, nothing compares to how good the good news about Jesus Christ and what he's achieved for us on the cross and through his resurrection is. So let's generate a passion for the gospel because to be effective ambassadors of the gospel, we need to regain or stir up a mindset of being passionate about it. So we need to have confidence in the gospel. We need to be passionate about the gospel. And I also believe we need to have a mindset of being persistent with the gospel. And so... I want to get you this morning to uh, um, close your eyes for a moment and this is not an altar call moment Um, and if you feel uncomfortable with that then just be uncomfortable for a moment because I want to ask you some questions and I want you to feel like you can respond without people judging you. Um, But what I want you to, to do is just to pop your hand in the air if at some stage in your life you've shared the good news about Jesus with somebody. Now, what I want you to do is keep it up if you could honestly say that it is your persistent habit to share the gospel with others. Okay, you can put your arms down and open your eyes. Now, it's exciting to know that some people can honestly say that about themselves, but, but most of you are like everybody else, that um, a few hands didn't go up at all, and I'm not, I didn't actually try and pay much attention to who, it's not a judgment thing, but, but most of us at some point have shared the gospel with somebody or something of it, but we're not persistent. It's not our persistent habit to tell others about Jesus. And so I believe that we need to, if we're to be effective ambassadors of the gospel, we need to become persistent with it. As is all areas of life, the greatest predictor of success is our ability to be persistent. We need to become persistent in our sharing of the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 to, to 20, it says, um, Then they called them in again, and that's, that's um, Peter and John before the religious court of the Sanhedrin. It says, They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so the early church lived in a context of the gospel message being prohibited by the religious authorities of the day and later on by the empirical authorities of the day. But they said, we cannot help but speak the gospel. In the next chapter, in chapter 5, verse 41 to 42, it goes on. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, so they're leaving the the religious court again, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, that is, the name of Jesus. And in verse 42, so in this context of continued persecution and and seeking to prohibit gospel sharing and teaching and proclamation, in verse 42 it says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 
And so it says in this context of persecution and, and stamping out the gospel message that the early church, day after day, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. Day after day, they were persistent and consistent in their gospel proclamation, in their gospel sharing, in pointing people towards the good news that is in Jesus. It says they did it in the temple courts and from house to house. And and so this gives us a picture of different contexts. This gives us a picture of more public proclamation and sharing of the good news. But it also gives us a picture of sitting around the table, sharing meals with people, with friends and with family and, and just doing life together. But in the midst of that, telling them about the good news of Jesus in a more natural, less preachy environment. There would have been some amongst them called to be the the, the temple court kind of preachers. But the majority amongst them would have been the the house-to-house kind of sharing life and sharing the good news in the midst of life kind of gospel proclaimers. But it says that for all of them it was day after day in spite the, the, the authorities saying, you can't do this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, again in this letter to, to Paul's spiritual son, encouraging him in his work of pastoring the church in Ephesus, Paul says this to, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Keep your head in all situations, endure or persevere through hardships, do the work of, a, of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so Paul says to Timothy, keep your head on. Endure or, or persevere opposition and hardships and do the work of, evangel- of an evangelist. The, the, the word evangelist is, is essentially the same word as gospel with a, with a may at the end of it. That means it's someone who's doing that proclaiming. It makes it a personal thing. And, and so Paul is saying, persevere and keep speaking the gospel. Keep speaking the good news in the midst of hardships. Persevere and keep speaking the good news. Do the work of an evangelist. It's interesting here that, that Timothy is never called an evangelist. Paul himself speaks of himself as an evangelist and an apostle. He speaks of, of others as, evan- of as uh, evangelists, but, but he doesn't speak of Timothy as an evangelist. He, he's, he's spoken of in terms of pastoral gifting, of a different kind of gifting to, to being an evangelist. But he's still called to do that work, to do the work of gospel proclaiming. Some of us may feel like, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'll leave that to the evangelists. But we're all called to share the gospel. The gift of an evangelist to the church is actually to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry of evangelism. Not to go out and be the only evangelist, the only speakers of the gospel in the church. The early church was persistent in proclaiming the good news in all kinds of contexts despite opposition. 
As I said, persistence or, or grit is the greatest predictor of success at anything. And the same is true with the gospel proclaiming and proclamation. My boys have something of an understanding of, of persistence in proclamation. Not so much in the gospel yet, but, but they're still in this process of, of learning that when mummy or daddy are having a conversation with each other or someone else that, that they should kind of wait until an opportunity, they should say, excuse me, and then wait till their turn to speak. But, but they haven't quite learnt that yet and so what they'll do is they'll come and stand next to us and go, daddy, 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 daddy. And because we're talking, we're just trying, okay, in a second we're trying, and daddy, 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 dad, daddy, 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 dad. And eventually... You're worn down by persistence and you just go, okay, what do you want to say? Give a bit of a lecture about remember the excuse me thing and wait your opportunity. And, 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 and though that's not necessarily behavior we want to encourage in that context, it, it illustrates that persistence pays off. And so what I'm not encouraging here is, is kind of Bible bashing that we, we go to friends that are, are non-believers and just keep hitting them with the Bible uh, metaphorically or literally. But I'm not encouraging Bible bashing, but I am encouraging that we become people who are persistent and consistent in looking for opportunities to share the good news about Jesus. Not necessarily opportunities to give the entire download of the New Testament in one sitting, but looking for opportunities to point people towards the good news that there is salvation, healing, eternal life, freedom in Jesus. To be effective ambassadors of the gospel, we need to embrace a mindset of being persistent with the gospel. And the fourth and final mindset I believe we need to embrace as ambassadors of the gospel is to be ambitious for the gospel. Jesus made some outrageously ambitious statements about the extent of gospel proclamation. Uh, We've become fairly familiar with them and so we perhaps, like other things, familiarity breeds contempt and we don't grasp the, the... ambitiousness of some of Jesus' statements here. In Matthew twenty four fourteen, for example, he says, uh, and the gospel, that is the good news of the kingdom, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so he's talking about the end times here, but, but Jesus is saying that this gospel message will be preached to the entire world, to every single nation within the world will be proclaimed the good news. Now this is an outrageously ambitious statement, not even for our own time, but but Jesus is speaking to what could at that time be described as a small religious sect in a small tiny part of the Roman Empire. To a small group of people and he says to them that this good news that, and I don't know how many, I haven't completely explored the context, but this good news that this crowd of uh, at best a couple thousand people, perhaps he was just talking I think here in this context to the twelve, this good news that I'm sharing with this tiny group of people will be proclaimed to every person on the earth. That's an outrageously ambitious statement about the gospel. 
in Mark 16:15, which which um, is actually likely not part of Mark's original gospel, but if we if we take it as some of the the context of the culture of the early church, it, it says on Jesus' lips, "Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation." All creation. This is an ambitious statement for the gospel. In Romans 15:20, Paul speaks not just of his passion, but of his ambition for the gospel. Romans 15.20 It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And so Paul is completely comfortable with placing the word ambition right along the, the side of the word gospel, good news in Jesus Christ, and he's ambitious for it. He doesn't want to just share it to people who have already heard the good news. He wants to to break new ground and share the good news about Jesus to people who have never heard the good news about Jesus. He's ambitious for gospel proclamation. So I believe we need to become ambitious for gospel proclamation in Yas. How many people would you like to see saved this year? Think about it. It's a serious question. You don't have to yell the answer out. But how many people would you like to see saved this year in yes? How many people who don't believe in the name of Jesus would you like to see enter into a belief in the name of Jesus this year? What about next year and the year after? The reason I ask that question is is I hope the answer is not zero. Hopefully we all have some level of ambition for the gospel. We simply need to put that ambition into action and see it grow and increase because there are at least 6,000 people in Yass who are not actively involved in a faith in Jesus. There are at least 6,000 people just in Yass itself and of course we might caveat that well there's some people that have faith in Jesus but don't come to church but there's probably some people that go to churches that don't have faith in Jesus and so yes 6,000 is a random and rough number but but I would say there's at least 6,000 people in Yas that need to hear the good news in a way that they can understand and grasp and have the opportunity to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved because there is no other name by which they might be saved. This week, Rob and Renee and the McGregor family are on the central coast at an engagement party, but they're also picking up the other 40 chairs that um, Peter Randall and I couldn't jam into the back of the trailer. And so we've got 160 here now, some are in the storeroom, and we've got 40 more coming. And, and so we'll have 200 of, of these chairs. And, and I want to say that we need to be ambitious to fill them. Not because it's about backsides on seats making us feel good about who we are as a church blah 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 because every empty chair in this place needs to represent to us and every chair empty chair in every church in town it's not just about us needs to represent to us a person in yas who doesn't know jesus we need to outgrow this building not because 
being a bigger church that doesn't fit in this building makes us feel good about ourselves and is a monument to ourselves, but because if 6,000 people come to faith in Jesus, they can't all fit in all the churches in your house. We might have multiple services or something like that, but, but we need to not just be comfortable with where we are when 6,000 people don't know Jesus. And that's just in Yass. I'm not counting Murrumbateman. I'm not counting the surrounding towns which we need to have a heart for also. We need to be ambitious for the gospel, not for our sake, not to stroke our ego, not to build an edifice to ourselves, but for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus. We must see these chairs filled. We must see this building overflow. Please talk to David Anderson about the testimony of this building. The church did not have the money to build the whole thing. They, they were hoping to build what is now our foyer and finish the rest later, but God kept on leading them on further and further and further to build a, a bigger building, which is a testimony to me that Jesus is more ambitious for the gospel than we will ever be. So we need to embrace a mindset of ambitiousness. When I was thinking about um, outrageous ambitiousness, uh, I uh, randomly perhaps um, recalled, um, well, I wasn't there at the time, but I've seen footage of it, um, President Kennedy's speech at the beginning of the 60s about they will go to the moon at the, by the end of the decade. Who's not familiar with what I'm talking about? A few people have been emboldened by other hands. So, so in the early 1960s, early in his short presidency, um, if you don't know how his presidency ended, Google it. Um, but in the early, early parts of um, President Kennedy's short presidency, he, he declared in the early part of the 60s that by the end of the 60s, the United States of America would put a man on the moon. Um, And at that time, that was an outrageous statement because at that time, the United States of America had not yet put a living creature into space. And I just want to read to you this morning. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was some context about some conflict at the time. Um, but I just want to read you part of that speech this morning just as a, as a, a taste of ambitiousness. And so he says, But if I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, he was speaking in a stadium, made of new metal alloys, some of which may not have, sorry, some of which have not been invented yet, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return safely to Earth, rethinking the re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half of the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, not here today, but in the 60s, um, and do all this and do it right and do it first because this decade, before this decade is out, then we must be bold. 
And so Kennedy is saying to a crowd of, of college students, um, but to America, if we are going to achieve this ambitious goal, which he's very eloquent speaking, but he's essentially saying we have no idea how to actually do it yet. But if we're going to do that, we must be bold. Another way, another word that we could put in his mouth is, if we're going to fly to the moon, we must be ambitious and courageous. And so I would say that we, if we are to see yes turn to Jesus, then we must be bold and ambitious with the gospel. Because there are 6,000 in Yass, more in the surrounding territories, and our vision of the church is certainly not confined just to Yass, that don't know Jesus. There is no reason, again, please hear that this is not about building a big church or some sign of success or anything like that, but there's no reason with 6,000 people in Yass why the church of Yas need to be small. If we're to see many people in Yas saved, then we need to be bold and ambitious with the gospel. Just as the United States had no idea how to get someone into space, let alone to the moon at the time uh, Kennedy said, we're going... We might not really know how or what or why or all the details of how we're going to share the gospel and, and lead people to Jesus, but, but what we need to embrace is this mindset of being ambitious for it, of dreaming big, of, of coming in here in the morning, and, and granted there are a lot of people away today, so we've got some bonus empty chairs this morning, but, but, but coming in here on a Sunday morning and not seeing empty chairs as empty chairs, but seeing them as, as people who aren't here yet because they're not saved that we can share the gospel with, to be encouraged and bold to see people come to Jesus. To be effective ambassadors of the gospel, we need to embrace a mindset of being ambitious for the gospel. And so the gospel is good news. Words are necessary. We need to be confident in it, passionate about it, persistent with it, and ambitious for it.